0: All right, well, I want you to turn around to somebody and say the word behold. Turn to your neighbor and just say behold. Come on, participate with me, behold, okay? This is the word we introduced last week. We'll put it up on the screen and a couple of definitions. Hopefully, you have your sermon notes with you, and uh, you can follow along in your sermon notes. But behold, we're anchoring into this word, behold. And when it came with the Christmas series, felt like the Lord just impressed it on our hearts to just talk about the word behold. So in Hebrew, it's to perceive through sight, apprehension, to gaze upon, or to observe this idea in the Greek language, the New Testament, which is what we're looking at, is to know, to see, or to be sure to see. Now, if you read the NIV translation or NLT translation or ESV translations, a lot of times you won't see the word behold. You'll see the word look. Uh, You'll see him say, look, you know, the Lamb of God or look. And so it's easy to miss what that word really means. And it's to be sure to see. In other words, and we said this last week, it simply means this, don't miss it. So now turn to your neighbor and say, behold, don't miss it. All right, don't, don't miss it. So it changes the meaning a little bit when you're saying, don't miss this. And the idea behind all of this came to be that when you look around Christmas season with all the stuff that's happening, uh, you know, the the chaos abounds, right? Things are getting in chaos, people traveling in, who's coming, who's going, what relational tensions am I going to have to deal with, you know, between in-laws and cousins or whoever, you might have issues. My family's a perfect family. We have no issues in our family. Everybody gets along and but uh, uh, so, so you, you just navigate all of these things, and in, in the chaos of it all, it's easy to miss it. And so we don't want to miss the importance of what Christmas, of course, is all about, hence the title Christ in Christmas. So that's where this whole thing comes from. Behold simply means don't miss it. And last week, part one was, Behold, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is born. We anchored into that, helping understand that, you know, the King of Kings, you got to wrap your head around that. Just behold that. Don't miss this. The King is here. The Lord of all Lords is with us. And then today we're going to anchor in into another piece of this Behold. And we're going to pick up in our Bibles, Luke chapter one, we're going to pick up where we left off, kind of recap just a minute, and then kind of press into something else today that I want us to behold in as a church. All right, so Luke chapter 1, we'll kind of read a little bit of what we read last week and then kind of move into further teaching on this. All right, so it says, you will conceive, this is where Mary is getting the promise from the angel about, you know, she's going to have a child, and it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great, he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And in this line, his kingdom will never end. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We talked about that last week, that his kingdom is going to outlast all kingdoms. It's a forever thing. Then he goes on to say, verse 34... It says, how will this be? Mary asked, of course, and she says, since I am a virgin. I want to unpack that in just a minute. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, that's also important, to be born, that's also important, will be called the Son of God. So if you have your notes, I want to just teach on this for just a minute. Two reasons. I'm not saying these are the exclusive reasons, but these are two reasons for the virgin birth that you need to be aware of, and so do I. The first one is that Jesus is born without the stain of sin, making him holy. Why is Jesus born uh, a virgin? Why does that have to occur? Why is that important for us to understand? Because he does not carry on the stain of sin that descended from Adam and humanity. So although he's born as a human, he doesn't carry the sin does that make sense? So that has to occur. The second thing I want you to pay attention to is Jesus is born of a woman, making him human, which is also necessary for him to complete the work of the cross that he was called to do. So both are critical to this. Now, I could get lost and I'm telling you, I wanted to turn this whole thing into a series. I could go, man, I could talk on this for an hour and a half, but, uh, so I've got to keep moving on. But this is the, Bottom line that I want you to write down in your notes, key truth, write this down, Jesus is both fully God and fully human, all right? That's what I want us to anchor into, and I'm going to teach on this because I want you to see how important this is, and we need to behold this. We need to not miss the importance of this when we anchor in to the birth of Christ around Christmas season. This is so important for us to understand. So God is both fully God and he's fully human. I want to read something to you the best I can. Like I said, I left my glasses, so I'm going to do my best here, but... Jesus, both God and man, tells us that man really is made in the image of God, right? Genesis 128, we're made and created in his image. So understanding this in the perfect, uh, that the perfect humanity is more compatible in the deity than we can even imagine possible. Here's something I want you to anchor into. The humanity that Jesus added to his divinity, nature, was not that sinful humanity was com- as commonly to know. It says, but the perfect humanity of Adam and Eve before the fall. In other words, whenever Jesus takes on the humanity side, he doesn't take on our humanity side from Adam. He takes on the humanity of Adam prior to the fall of sin. So he carries on humanity, but the humanity without sin. That's absolutely important that we understand that as we unpack this idea of beholding of who Christ is and who was born. Okay, so write this down. Two names in Scripture, if there's a part of your notes, Son of God, Son of Man. I want to unpack this. You'll see in Scripture oftentimes that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, Son of Man. How many of you have ever seen that and you're wondering, what is Son of God, Son of Man? Why is he called these two different names? I want to teach on that for just a minute so we understand this and we can anchor into this. All right, so Matthew 26 is where I want to show you this. These names appear. Both of these names appear in Matthew 26. Matthew 26 is where Jesus is being arrested. He's about to go to the cross. And here's these two statements in this context. It says, Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men bring against you? But Jesus remained silent. Well, then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, Here's the line, the Son of God, one of the names. You're the Son of God. We'll unpack that. You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. All right, he goes on to say, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death. That's the penalty, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? All right, so the reason, ultimately, that Jesus is... Sentenced to death is because of Leviticus 24. Let me show you this. Leviticus 24 is one of the laws that was instituted. instituted and it says, say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. So whenever they say, Jesus, are you the son of God? What they're essentially saying is, are you claiming to carry the very nature of God? And Jesus responds back with, what you said is true, basically. But then he goes on to call himself also the Son of Man, which is an interesting. So he unpacks these things, and he and we see these names: Son of God and Son of Man. So I think what's going to help bring this to clarity for you when Jesus goes to the cross is something that Paul writes in the book of Colossians. So we'll put this up on the screen. I think we have the verse of Colossians. But if Paul writes this. He says, "For in Christ." All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Deity. The deity is where, you've heard this word, uh, uh, theotis. You've heard the word uh, theology. You have this idea. Deity, the state of being God. What I want you to see that Paul writes, you can anchor in this also into when they crucify Christ, They're putting him into the state of God, that when you call him the son of God, it's declaring his divinity, it's declaring that he is in one nature with God, and if he's in one nature with God, he's claiming to be God, which is powerful when you think about it. Again, you gotta behold this idea that Jesus, in this context, in one part of his nature would say, he is one with God, in the very nature with God. Write this down, the son of God, speaks to the deity of Christ. And there's further verses on that. John chapter one, the word became flesh, right? The word dwelt among us. John chapter one, and then another one is Hebrews chapter one. If you read Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four, you just go read those two chapters, you'll see this being evidenced out that anytime you see the statement, the son of God, it's speaking to the deity of Christ, the state of being God in the scripture, okay? So we see these truths coming out, and then Hebrews one: three. I think we have it up, we'll put it up. Uh, and then I'll uh, help you understand some. It says, uh, "The writer of Hebrews says, "the sun." Referring to Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We'll come back to that at the end in just a minute. But Hebrews 3 says he's the representation of this being. So write this down, just a key truth to help understand this more. The son of God is God told you I'm going to get heavy into the teaching a little bit, so you're to have to follow me on this. I want you just to behold this for just a moment. Let's just pause. That this child who is being born, this person who eventually would grow up, and that we would know as Jesus, and that we celebrate Christmas, is God. Just don't miss that. It's not just this human being. This is God being born in humanly form, the creator of the world. And I could spend an hour just thinking about, wrapping my head, trying to, don't miss that, that this is God, the creator of the world, the sun, the stars, and all things that you see, the one who breathes life is born. Don't miss that. It's not just the plastic light-up thing that you put in the front yard. Like, that doesn't even encompass the fullness of God. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just hilarious how we try to put this in a nativity scene. How many of you guys have a nativity scene in your front yard? Go ahead. Guilty as charged. You know. and, um, but, you know, isn't it interesting? We try to just package this somehow. But this is God as a child. I mean, that's just, behold that, right? You wanna, I want to anchor into that. All right? So, second name I want to unpack in this is the Son of Man. All right, we saw that a moment ago. The Son of Man, what does that speak to? It speaks to the humanity of Christ. And if you're writing down, you want to go a little extra here, okay, normally, okay, you could write the word, the Son of Man speaks to the humanity of Christ normally because there's an addition to that. If you really want to go a step further, I'm just letting you know, the Son of Man speaks to humanity and divinity, which we'll unpack now. But normally in context, whenever you see the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man keeps his came to seek and save that which is lost, or the Son of Man eats with tax collectors and sinners. You'll see that throughout the New Testament. The Son of Man most commonly speaks to the human side of Christ, but it actually also speaks to his divinity. In fact, when Jesus referred to himself, did you know Jesus doesn't call himself the Son of God? He calls himself the Son of Man more than he calls himself. If he identifies himself, he says, I'm the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And he's speaking to the human side, typically to who he is. Look at Luke uh, 950, what is it, 951, or 956, okay, 958. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, this is Jesus referring to himself, has no play to lay his head at night, right? This is Jesus referring to himself. This is the most often used statement that he speaks of. Here's another one, Daniel 7, 13, let me, let me help you understand this. Why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? The son of man, technically, in Greek language, if you just look up the word son of man or the man, it actually just means human. So he's essentially saying, I'm human, you know, the human, like the man side. He's referring to the man side of himself, not to fully disclose the son of God, because then that would cause a whole other uproar. So he kind of has to navigate this kind of slippery slope about how he goes about this. Now, here's why it's important. How many of you ever heard the statement where Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear, all right? Let have eyes, let them see. Like They have ears to let them hear. What is he saying? When Jesus would teach, he couldn't just come out so publicly and say, I am king of all things, and I am the son of God, and I am here to declare, you know, he, he, if he did, he'd been arrested much earlier, wouldn't be able to accomplish certain things that he needed to accomplish. So you'll find him often navigating this in a very kind of discreet way, walking a very thin line, saying what's true, but at the same time, it was also hidden from those who didn't perceive or understand. So he's saying things to people in a way that you should get this, but a lot of times people aren't going to guess it, understand it fully, but Jesus is still declaring a truth. Here's why Jesus calls himself the son of man. It's not just so that you know that he's human. Obviously, he's walking around, he's human, but the reason he refers to himself is because what was prophesied by the prophet Daniel 500 years before he's ever born. So Daniel writes this, and this is what Jesus is referring to in order to fulfill the prophecies because Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. So this is what Daniel prophesies. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion, here's the king of kings, lord of lords, we read about this last week, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus refers himself as the son of man, does reveal his humanity, but watch this. It also reveals his divinity. Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time time. Key truth, the Son of Man is God as well. The Son of Man is God. So you have the Son of God is God, declaring the very nature of God, the state of being God. When Jesus refers to the Son of Man, it also declares He is God. Jesus is God, which a lot of people would maybe disagree with that. But as Christ followers, we have to understand and behold that, that this child is God in flesh. Some people get confused. Do I talk to God? Do I talk to Jesus? Do I talk to the Holy Spirit? All one in the same, amen, that this is the Trinity. This is the Godhead. Jesus is Christ in flesh. This is, Jesus is God in flesh. And That should make you pause when you think about this child being born. It should make you behold. Don't miss this. This is God being born to us. The prophet Isaiah wrote this 700 years before it. Isaiah 9 is one of those famous passages that people read about in Christmas season. Isaiah 9, verse 6. We'll put it up. For to us, watch this, a child is born. Pause. Why does Isaiah the prophet, who's different than Daniel, separated by about 200 years or so, write this? He's speaking to what? The humanity. Who's to come? For to us, a child is born, speaking to the humanity side, and to us, a son is given. The son is given to us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. This is written 700 years before Jesus' birth. Jesus is fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies by declaring the Son of Man and Son of God. And people referring to him as the Son of God and Son of Man. Now, here's the most interesting about that. Isaiah is not fully aware of that, I don't think. Isaiah is just writing this because this was a way of writing in repetition. This is just something the common writing style would have done when you're just trying to reinforce reinforce your point or reinforce your statement. But Holy Spirit, who's inspiring Isaiah in this moment, says, let's make sure we put these two statements in because from Isaiah's perspective, I don't see the fullness of this. But the Holy Spirit uses Isaiah to write it like this in such a way that it would fulfill the prophecy. Behold that. Did you miss what I just said? Raise your hand if you totally missed what I just said. Perfect, so we're all in good. All right, so you've got to behold this. Do you understand what I just told you? I'm going to say it again just in case you missed it because I don't want you to miss this. Isaiah is writing, and he repeats, for to us the child is born, to us the son is given. In his perspective, this is the same, I'm just repeating to reinforce, from the Holy Spirit who's working in him, oh, this is much bigger than that, Isaiah. We're fulfilling something here. We're fulfilling son of man, and we're fulfilling son of God, one who will come with both, the son of man and son of God. This is powerful when you really anchor into this truth. In fact, it's so powerful. When you anchor into this, written by a man, seeing this coming 700 years before it ever happens, can't help but you to go, I have a really hard time now denying the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Christ is fully divine, fully holy. It's powerful when we don't miss this Christ in Christmas. That is a hundred, like, so important for us to understand. I think we have a statement. I'll put it up. If Jesus was not fully man, he cannot stand in the place of a sinful man, right? He couldn't, right? And so, and to be a substitute for it, the punishment of our sins that the man deserves. If he were not fully God, his sacrifice would be insufficient, right? That is true. If Christ did not die on the cross being fully God at the same time, then God cannot be paid off in a sense. The debt cannot be paid. Only God can pay the debt to God. So he has to be fully man and fully God. That's absolutely important for us to to grab towards and and hold on to. You can write this down, the bottom line, what I hope you understand today. Behold, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is born. Behold this for just a minute, that the Son of God, the Son of Man, is born. Divinity and humanity in one. That's powerful when you wrap your head around that. And I'm going to keep repeating this because it's easy. How many have to repeat things to your children? You would think they heard you the first time. Everybody say amen. And then you have to repeat it and you're like, did you hear me? How many times have you have to say it three or four times before they finally heed what you say, right? You're like, oh, okay, I heard it. To behold that. Let's pause in this. Son of God, fully divine. Also fully human. It's born. That's what we celebrate. That's what we acknowledge. That's what we gather for. Don't miss that. This is way more. This is more than just a birth of a child. This is God, claiming to be God, fulfilling testaments and prophecies and Old Testament, but prophecies written by multiple different men over different centuries. It's massive to, to just grab towards that, and I want you to anchor into that and just behold that. A couple of things, I'm going to the band up, um, but I want to share this with you. Just a couple of extra thoughts into this, okay? Genesis chapter 28. I want to say, Genesis chapter 26, 28. Then he dreamed, this is Jacob. This, and I'm going to go somewhere. This. this is just follow me. for. This is just kind of a little additionals I couldn't leave out and I have time. So additional, I don't want to leave this out. Jacob has a dream, Genesis chapter 28. In the dream, this is what Moses records for us in Genesis about Jacob many years before Jesus is ever born and before Isaiah. Okay, so you got to hear this. Then he dreamed, and what's the word? And behold. And I'll read the New King James Version, okay, because we got the word behold. But then he dreamed and behold. Take notice. What does behold mean? Say it to your neighbor. Don't miss this. Tell your neighbor, don't miss this. All right. The reason why I'm using the King James Version is because not like we're like, we have to be the King James. But what I am saying to you is don't miss this, okay? It's easy to miss it. If you read the NIV, you'd miss it, but don't, don't miss this. Jacob has a dream, and behold, don't miss this. A ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heaven. This is what he sees. And on the ladder, there are angels of God ascending and descending on it. Get the picture, a ladder. Angels are going up and down this ladder. He just records down what I had in a dream. Don't miss this. Jesus is recorded saying this, a guy named John, records what Jesus said. And here's what Jesus said, John 1.50. You believe, he's talking to a guy named Nathan, by the way, and in this conversation with Nathan, Nathaniel, he says, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. Pause. Nathaniel had been sitting under a fig tree. He didn't see him, or at least he didn't think he saw him. He's like, you weren't even around me. How did you notice that? And so Jesus is kind of revealing himself to Nathaniel and who he really is, fully God and fully man. He says, you will see greater things than that. He then added, now watch this. Jesus adds something here. He says, very, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus is reaching back to Jacob's dream. Those who have ears, let them hear what I'm saying. He's telling Nathan, Nathan, do you hear what I'm telling you? Don't miss it, Nathan. No, and of course, Nathan, who would have understood the Torah, Jewish literature, and Jewish scripture, he says, don't miss this, Nathan. I'm the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. And the angels that were ascending and descending are descending and ascending on me, Nathan. That's me. I'm the connection between earth and heaven. And those who want to come up to heaven come only through me, Jesus would later on to say, Right? I mean, Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling these statements. Don't miss this. It's so important for us to understand and gravitate to the fullness of what's happening. Now, with all that in your mind and all that in your heart, maybe one other thing to you. Acts. We'll go to Acts real quick. This is where Stephen, the guy who's dying for his faith, he records this. And you go to the book of Acts uh, chapter 7 verse 55. But Stephen, this is just another evidence, okay? Then we'll wrap this whole thing up. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen is one of the guys killed for his faith, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. Now This should anchor in hope. You say, where does hope come from, by the way? This is... For me personally, one of the most powerful statements in all the scripture that should give you hope. Here's what he says. And Jesus ascending, uh, was standing at the right hand of God. And I told you I was going to come back to this later. Look, he said, I see heaven open. So I'm looking into heaven. And who's there? The son of God? No, son of man. The human Jesus. The son of man standing at the right hand of God. And this new body, which we are promised to also have. So Jesus fulfills it all and comes in place of a human, fulfills the perfect life, no sin, no stain, even though he's tempted and tested, the writer of Hebrews said. He can sympathize with you and us because he's fully human, which is also another reason why he came as Son of Man. He also came as human just so you would know that he can relate to you. And he faces the same temptations you face, but he overcame them. And then he overcomes the grave. And then he ascends to heaven as fully human at the same time so that you can have hope being fully human, that you also can enter heaven to receive earthly bodies. There's so much hope in this. Don't miss this. You must behold this. Don't miss that. So important for us to understand this. So, with all that in mind, I want to invite the band forward. Uh, We're going to share in time of communion, and like I said, we're going to share in time of communion each week in this series. So as the band moves forward, uh, I want you to see how Mary responds to all of this. Now, does Mary fully understand the fullness of things that you and I see? Of course she doesn't. She doesn't know the fullness of what you and I know today. Watch this. Listen, follow me on this. She doesn't fully comprehend that the Son of God and the Son of Man is going to put himself on a cross, she doesn't see that that this child who is both God and both man is going to put himself on a cross so that to ultimately pay for the sins of humanity so that your soul could be wiped pure and clean and then be resurrected from the days three days later. She does not fully comprehend that, but she knows. Remember, I remember this, follow me on this. I know the elements are getting past, but but follow me on this one second. Remember, Mary is also Jewish. She would have also understood some of the Torah, some of the scriptures, and the writings of Isaiah. So she's aware that she is a fulfillment of a prophecy in the very moment. Now watch what Mary does as a result, okay, of all of this. Mary takes this in. Child's gonna be born to you, Mary. You're it. You're the virgin. He's coming through you. Son of God, son of man, here he comes. Even though she can't fully encompass what God is doing, Mary result is she runs and talks to her relative Elizabeth, and then Mary begins to do this. She begins to sing a song. Do we have it up? I don't know if you have it up, and in... I can read it to you if you don't have it. is it up? Thanks. And Mary said, "My soul glorifies." Okay. This is a song that Mary sings, or some might would say a poem that she writes. But my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, he has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud and their endless thoughts. Continue on. It says he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has but has lifted up the humble. And he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Last verse, he goes on to say, Is there is that verse 55. Well, yeah, on my glass. I apologize on I mean, that. I want you anchored into this word "glorify." When he says "glorifies," to magnify. I think just Mary, just simply takes a moment as she considers the child that's going to come in her womb, and she just beholds that moment, and she says, "I'm gonna glorify." And we see this as what we call today Mary's song. There's a declaring from her mouth. Who this is, because she begins just to anchor into that. And so today, I wanted to invite us to share in communion, but before we do, I just want you to pause. And we're going to sing a song, the band will, I won't, you don't want me to sing. And um, the band's going to sing a song, and just as they sing, then I'll come back up, we'll share in communion together. I just want you to consider just follow oh, me, it's so important. Just behold, I'm intentionally wanting you to pause intentionally creating a space here just to kind of hold on to that, that whenever you see Christ, you see God and you see human wrapped in one, then maybe, just maybe, you'll consider for a moment today that this God who came as human put himself on a cross for you. According to him, he did it for you. Faith is choosing to believe what Jesus said is true. But according to Jesus, Jesus said, I'm ultimately doing this for you. So as we hold communion in our hands, we're going to sing a song. You can stay seated. Um, Then we'll share a time of communion uh, together. I'll come back up in a minute and share a time of communion.